Look in your scriptures. We're going to be reading two sections from scriptures, one in the Old Testament, one in the Gospels. The first section that we're going to be reading is out of the book of Ezekiel. Who's, who's got the page? 704. Very good, 704. And the second one is in Matthew. Who's got the Matthew one? Not yet. Okay, let's do Ezekiel. Very good. In Ezekiel chapter 36, listen to and for the word of the Lord. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will make your stony, stubborn, we could add our own, heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you that you will follow my decrees and be careful to do and obey my regulations. The word of the Lord. In the book of Matthew, which is our first gospel in the New Testament, we think actually that Mark was written first, but they put Matthew there. Matthew probably had a better marketing group. And Jesus, is, this is actually the entire Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to focus in, in this small section in which Jesus is actually speaking to his disciples directly. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it, if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Now Jesus says no one takes a, la a lamp. Is that what it says? Yeah. No one takes a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Hmm. No one takes a lamp and puts it under a basket. Yeah, now I have the fearful people. How long is it going to take <laughs> for it to light up in fire? I'm just doing that to get you nervous. I know I got time. But no one does that, right? No one does that kind of foolishness. Jesus said that. Instead, a lamp is placed on a standard where it gives light to everyone in the house, especially in this kind of standard. The word of the Lord. Did you get it? We saw it. 
We feared it. <laughs> Who was looking for the fire extinguisher? I'm told there's one back here. I'm told there's one back here, and it's not true. Stewardship committee, please. Make note. No. <laughs> but during the last few months, I've been sharing with you about new ways. We spoke about new ways of seeing. We spoke about new ways of walking. We spoke about basically new ways of something. Why are we talking about new ways? You see, the, the, the passage, the, the, the new ways are necessary because the old ways get inefficient. The old ways get old. Systems run down. They run their purpose. Structures soon show their cracks and weaknesses. River changes their courses. And generations look for something different in life. Buses change their route. And we as individuals need to make decisions. Remodeling, restructuring. Well, isn't that what we just try to do here in our case of our three churches? When we put our three structures aside, when we basically put them to rest corporately and came together to become a brand new congregation with new hopes, new expectations, new vision. However, it was interesting because when I came into the scene, I found two schools of thought in relation to the merger, the transition, the transformation, the changes we did. There were those who thought that uh, the, 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 the structuring of closing of the three congregations and forming a brand new one, that that was the transformation itself. And that we should continue as normal. And then there were those who were the majority, thank God, including the presbytery, who thought that the physical, the structural transformation was actually the way to facilitate the real transformation that needs to take place in our hearts, our minds, in our hearts of stone set in our ways to the hearts that are responsive to God's new ways. And this last month, that's what I've been emphasizing. New ways of being ourselves so that we can continue to do what God seems to be doing. When, when we came together, it seems that, that we used a verse very frequently. It was from Isaiah 43, verse 19, and it says, For I am about to do something new. Remember that one? For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? But the emphasis of the whole verse was, I am about to begin to do something new. A year and nine months into our process of journeying, exploring, experimenting, lighting up fires, putting them down, that didn't work. Don't tell anyone. Nah. Has taken us now to, not, to relook at that verse. To revisit that verse and that saying, for I'm about to do something new, no longer. But rather to emphasize, see, I've already begun. That's the new emphasis in the text. See, I've already begun. And the question follows, do you not see it? Do you not see it? What God has already begun doing here? We've seen it in families that are coming to the Lord, in people who want to join as new disciples. And notice, they didn't even mention the word, we want to be members of the church. We want to be new disciples at Lot of Hope. 
So God has begun that which we were called to do. So here we are. Here we are, and God is good, but where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? There's an old Japanese legend that talks about a young man being sent from his family to go to the master Kyosho Wabisabi, the master of tea making. And it is a ritual, it is an art to make tea in Japan, in Nippon, which is the actual Japanese name of the country, Nippon. It is an art, it is rituals. And it takes months for a young person to perfect the art of wabi-sabi. That's what's called. However, uh, when, when the young man came to Kyosho, his master, he, he actually approached the teacher and the teacher said, uh, very good, we'll receive you to do this art. But before you even touch a, a, a cup of tea, before you even look at the water, before you even look at the tea, I want you to tend the gardens and make them beautiful. And the young man took the rake and he started raking leaves and he took the cutters and he cut and he took the clippers and he clipped. And, and he, you know, in the Japanese art, the rock gardens are beautiful as they rake them with symbols and, and sways. Also, the sandboxes were beautifully uh, uh, combed and, and just artistically done. And as the young man finished his cleaning and beautifying the yard, He's looking back, and as he sees the clean, perfect sidewalk, pedicure to the edges, he notices a cherry tree. And right before he goes back to Kyosho, his teacher, he then approaches the tree, and he shakes the tree, and some of the bloom and leaves fall into the sidewalk. And he goes back to Kyosho, his teacher, and says, Kyoshi, I have finished my labor. And Kiyoshi, very surprised, he says, oh, young man, very wise. He must know wabi-sabi, beautiful work. Because the young man, Kiyoshi said, was able to see beauty in imperfection. Kiyoshi, wise man, saw that, yes, the gardens were beautifully pedicured, but how about those little leaves and bloom that fell on the sidewalk? They were all so beautiful. That's the art of wabi-sabi. And I wonder to what degree God is playing with us when God is reminding us through the Oinker sisters that we need to acquire a new way to walk, a walk that is mostly by faith, a walk that is mostly by faith because as Abraham, we, we remember this one, when Abraham was asked to go out and leave his whole family, everybody behind, he didn't have a GPS. He didn't get a map. Go. I'll tell you where to go, when to turn. <laughs> right. So his whole clan had to learn a new way to walk by faith and not by sight. They had to learn to walk, you know, maybe in, like in the city, you know, with a check behind you. <laughs> Who's behind you? Or maybe like you walk in the country, very tight. But we learn to walk with Jesus. 
And we learn to walk in such a way that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and walk with Jesus. So yes, it is important that in Wabi Sabi's life, living in the wisdom of Wabi Sabi, of imperfection, we need help. And as we learn to walk, the Holy Spirit comes by us as a helper to help us walk through the difficulties, to move stuff out of the way, maybe to beat somebody to righteousness, I don't know. But helps us in walking through. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He is the spirit that we read that God is going to plant inside us. The spirit. But we did not only learn and, and heard about how to walk by faith. We also heard about learning to see things through God's, perspe- through God's perspective. A new way to see. And if you're going to have a new way of life, you have to have a new way to see. Because if you keep seeing that life, Caroline, right, like the old ways, there is nothing new. You need to put on those nice glasses. You need to put on God's perspective. You need to see that the accident, that the ticket that you just got and paid over $300 is a, a reminder from God. Yeah, very few know. And not curse the county that gave it to you like I wanted to do. <laughs> and everyone in it. <laughs> oh, you know. But learning to live in God's perspective is basically learning to live and look at life through God's eyes of grace, through God's eyes of peace, through God's eyes of forgiveness, through God's eyes of faith, through God's eyes of no divisions but unity, through God's eyes of building relationships and not separating or exclusivity, through God's eyes of good, healthy finances, not so that we can hoard, but so that we can bless and give and give and give so that we can be wise parents, wise grandparents, so that we can look at the beauty in the imperfections of our lives as God sees them also. And in spite of those, those imperfections, God sees the beauties. And, and so that we can also learn how to prioritize, how to look at church from God's perspective and not from my perspective. And even how to suffer from God's perspective. Wabi-sabi, the art of finding beauty in things that are imperfect. But you know, uh, we, we also have some help sometimes in seeing God's perspective because our eyes want to see the negative stuff. I'd rather see the gossip than the learning. So God, some of you need to fix your makeup. (laughs) And some of you need to put on some. I can't really tell. It's just blurry. I'm just making that up. (laughs) But in reality, learning to see from God's perspective is bringing God closer to you so that when God comes and sits next to you, you can learn life and we can walk a life that's of faith. Now, we talked about feelings, and that's interesting. Because talking about feelings, uh, we, we learned that we have new ways of feelings if we actually adopt new ways of what? Believing and understanding life. 
And this is precisely one of these secular or popular psychological things that kind of does intersect the gospel. Because it is healthier to live, to practice, and to uh, uh, foster and cultivate a positive life experience. That is science. That is also Bible. Not to the exclude of the negative ones that can also take us to holiness and can take us to good things. But definitely, last week I was saying that there, when I was looking at the list of feelings, positive versus negatives, every list had more, more negative feelings in it than positive ones. Almost two to one in every list that I went online looking for that information. So we have a new way of feeling when we have a new way of believing. And a new way of believing, we found out last week, was through Scripture. The Word of God that is what? A light. Come on, you old Presbyterians and Baptists. It's a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Remember that one? And as we live with the light of God's Word written and God's living word, then we can balance our feelings because the truth, the truth, not the makeup stuff about God. And that's why these three classes I'm beginning next week are very important. You're going to be able to differentiate between the God of the people versus the God of Scripture. The you that you feel you want to be like uh, and the real you. But soon after that, we'll see that that real you is in the light and held and supported by God, God's self. So the truth shall make you free. Wabi-sabi. So we are salt, Jesus said. And in living a new life, we have new hope because we have a new way to walk. We don't have to walk to perdition. We don't have to walk towards the, 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 the chasm. We get a new perspective when we get a new way to see. We get a new beliefs when we have feel right. And when we have a new life, we have a new purpose. And we have seen it over and over and over again. The purposes of God is for you to be a disciple of Jesus. Is that right? Am I making this up? Or is this just in the Bible and we ignore it? We read it every Sunday. We talk about being a disciple of Jesus. But do we really become disciples of Jesus? Do we leave everything behind and follow Jesus like Jesus said? Do we deny ourselves? Do we carry our cross? Do we love as we have been loved? The other purpose of this whole thing is that so that you will get a career, go to go get a life, go to college, get a job, Get your 2.3 kids, your 4.2 house, bedroom, whatever. Is that what it's all about? Or is it about becoming conformed to the image of Jesus? Or is it about becoming ambassadors and representatives of Jesus? Or is it about suffering like Jesus? All of which are our call in light of hope. And as believers in this environment, a new way of life right now. But you know, it all, it's all nice. It's all wonderful, but it's not about a new method or about a new vision. 
It's not about a new strategy, but a new way of moving. It's not about a new way of investing, a new diet, or a new exercise program, or a new way to avoid diseases or exercise your brain like luminosity does with us. It's not even about adding Jesus to the mess that we have made with our lives. No. It's not about adding Jesus to our mess, but it is about surrendering our lives to Jesus so that Jesus can fulfill God's purposes in our lives, not our purposes, not our dreams or fame or popularity, not dreams of false sense of financial security and hypocritical social acceptance, but God's purposes for our, our lives. In spite of football season, But I wrote here, why not both? Why can't we have God's way of life in football? I think we can. If we prioritize it. Of course, I got to end soon. I hate that pressure, but it's fine. So, as the young person went to do the garden, and he saw the beauty in the garden, but yet, he went back and he shook that tree and he let the imperfections show. A new way of life requires us to realize that we are imperfect. Yet, while we were yet sinners, God gave us life together with him being Jesus. Can you say that with me? While we were sinners, God gave us life together with him. But God has decided to see beauty in us and has poured his spirit in us and sent his son for us and has filled us with his spirit so that we, in spite of ourselves, can turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let us sing that song as a prayer again this Sunday. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things in earth will grow very dimly at the sight of his wonderful grace.